Hello everyone, this is Dr. April Jasper, Chief Optometric Editor of Optometric Management Magazine. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the In Focus Up Close with Presbyopia podcast series. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce to you our guest, Dr. Marguerite McDonald, cornea laser cataract and refractive surgeon with OCLI Vision on Long Island and clinical professor of ophthalmology at NYU Langone Medical Center in New York City and at Tulane University Health Sciences Center in New Orleans. So Dr. McDonald, thank you so much for joining us today. Would you be able to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? I did some research. I've been seeing your name for uh, several years and I'm so impressed with everything you've done for patients and for ophthalmology. And I would just love for you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Dr. Jasper. Um, so you uh, hit uh, the high points of what I'm currently doing. Um, I am in private practice with Oakley Vision on Long Island, uh, but I'm also a clinical professor at two medical schools, NYU and Tulane. And I've had a longstanding interest in refractive surgery. My uh, proudest moment, I guess, or my claim to fame is that I, after years of research, did the first laser vision correction procedure in the world in 1988, and um, I've spent many, many years working on refractive surgery projects, but I'm also extremely interested in infectious disease and dry eye. Um, I do cornea transplant surgeries as well, and ocular reconstructive surgeries. Wow, that's amazing. I did look at some of the information from that first surgery and it is just, I brought tears to my eyes because I can only imagine how it touches your heart and every patient that has ever had refractive surgery has you to thank for that groundbreaking uh, of research and technology that you have been involved in. So that's awesome. So Dr. Well, McDonald, you. in today's podcast, we wanna discuss really effective co-management and surgical options for presbyopia, but I wanna just talk a little bit about how you communicate presbyopia to your patients. So my first question for you is, what does that presbyopia discussion sound like that you have with your patients every day? Well, it's a little different uh, for people facing cataract surgery than people who are in further annual eye exam, you know, who are not uh, looking to have cataract surgery. So I go through the options with them. If they say, you know, I'm unhappy, I'm unable to read, I say, well, this is a normal consequence of age. And then we discuss, you wear glasses now. Are you happy with them? Have you ever considered progressives? So we have that discussion. They don't want to wear glasses, contact lenses. Have you tried monovision? I explain what that is or multifocal contact lenses. If they're unhappy with all of those, then we talk about laser vision correction. But usually uh, it's it's pretty obvious earlier in, early in the discussion which of those three pathways they want to pursue. And of course, uh, there is a, a new pathway, which I do explain to them that someday in the not too distant future, probably in just a few months, they will have the option of using uh, eye drops to help them see it near without reading glasses. And what do you think? So the, the one thing that I find interesting is we're, we're all having these conversations. So optometrists are having this conversation with patients. Ophthalmology is as well. 
I wonder if it's different for you than it might be for me as to what you find patient expectations are and what is the common theme? So when a patient comes into your practice, do you find that more of them are looking to go one direction versus another for correcting their presbyopia? Actually, no, I find it's fairly evenly divided. There are people who like their glasses, but they've got standard bifocals. They didn't even know progressives existed. Uh, and then I've got people who love their monovision contact lenses or love their multifocal contacts, but now they're entering a period of life where their eyes are drier and they're having trouble tolerating them. So, but I, I find it's all over the place, really. Uh, so you have to be prepared to give them an answer to, to make them happy and make them satisfied in a safe and effective way. And it changes is what I think I'm hearing you say from maybe year to year. So that same patient comes in in two years and the conversation really has to continue because they may want a different option at that time. Is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly right. And, uh, you know, people tend to age out of certain uh, options <laughs> and age into others. So, uh, yeah, over the course of caring for a patient for, for years, you will find yourself explaining different options. And, of course, there are new options, thank goodness, that appear on the scene all the time. Absolutely. We love being able to talk about new options. And, and if we look at surgery, so let's go to surgery next. What surgical options do you have currently for presbyopic patients? So if we're talking about patients who are not facing cataract surgery, um, then we talk about uh, LASIK uh, or PRK or SMILE. These are procedures where you can induce the monovision. Um, usually, I like those people to have tried it with contacts uh, in advance. Even if they only tolerate the contacts for a few hours, they have to try it in advance. It is possible to do a loose lens test on them, but the contact lens trial is better. Um, they, there have been attempts to do uh, a presbyopic multifocal correction with LASIK. Those have largely failed. Those lead to optical aberrations, and so far they seem to be uh, insurmountable. I'm sure someday the proper ablation profile will be designed, but at the moment, the option with Corneal refractive surgery is LASIK, PRK, or SMILE. And then you mentioned your cataract patients, so the people that are moving forward with cataract surgery and the conversation with them might be a little different? So the conversation with them is, you know, you know, we have these things for you to choose from, and let's talk about which works best for you. Uh, if, if somebody, by the way, um, has a pre-existing condition that makes them a very bad candidate for one of the options, I'll mention it and say, I want you to know it's out there, it's not for you. You know, like say someone with significant uh, wet macular degeneration, um, somebody with horrific ocular surface disease that you've tried your best to control, those people are not candidates for multifocal IOLs, you know? I so, love but, but I don't want them to talk to their next door neighbor and say, oh, didn't she tell you about, oh, that's what I got. I want to say it's out there, but it's not for you. So, so I cover, you know, um, we can put you in focus. Here are the options, both eyes at distance, 
then you wear readers. Both eyes at near, because Mrs. Smith, you've been actually nearsighted all your life. You're used to seeing stuff up close. We can give you great near vision, and then you put on glasses to drive like you've been doing most of your life. We can do monovision, uh, but you haven't been doing that. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard for a 75-year-old brain to get used to that if you've not been doing it for years with monovision contact lenses, but it is an option. And then I discuss the, the, if they have no significant ocular pathology, I discuss what's available uh, with the, the newest <clears throat> premium IOLs to address presbyopia. So what I love about, I mean, everything you've said is really, if, if, if we look at it and analyze it as spot on, but the one thing that really stands out to me is that you tell everyone, even if they're not a candidate for one option, you want to make sure that they know about it. I think that's such a huge uh, pearl really for everybody to hear. And what, I mean, you said it's because you don't want them to hear about it. Did you ever have an experience where that happened, where somebody came back or you heard of it happening somewhere else and they didn't yes. know there was another treatment? And you know, the, the doctor, it didn't happen to me, but <clears throat> it happened to a colleague who skipped over one option because the patient was clearly not a good candidate for that option. It would have been malpractice to pursue that, but didn't mention it. And so the patient got upset and angry, even though she had a perfect outcome and the right intraocular lens was selected for her, but she was enraged that she hadn't been told about the other option. So wow. it's just important that people feel like you're not hiding anything from them, you know? Absolutely. So now when we talk about the surgical options, do you find, not necessarily, uh, I'm not asking for a specific lens, but do you find that there's one thing or one way that people tend to uh, really go to or they choose for their treatment, their, their surgical option? Well, um, first, you know, I do use them, but I don't use as many as some other surgeons, the premium channel IOLs, because I'm the director of the Dry Eye Center of Excellence. Oh. And most of my cataract patients come from the Dry Eye Center of Excellence, and they're horrifically dry. And I do my best, you know, I use uh, all the best treatment algorithms and I tune them up as best I can, but they often still have suboptimal ocular surface characteristics and are not a good candidate for some of these things. So um, I, because my practice is unique that way, I don't use quite as many of them. But um, you, have to, you have to listen, you know, what do people want? Is it more, more important than, than anything for them to be in a restaurant and to be able to read a menu without glasses? Uh, what's the most important thing for them? Um, you know, I had one uh, grandmother come to me and she said that uh, she was facing cataract surgery and she said she was alone babysitting for her grandson who was one and all of a sudden he began to choke on a chicken bone and he had just started to eat things like that and she couldn't find her readers and he was turning blue and by the time she found her readers he, he was almost a goner and she got them on and she got the bone out and he began to breathe and she was in the office the next day, this will never happen to me again. So you have to you listen, you know, what means the most to them? Yeah. And there's so, usually a lens, a lens to address that, that need. 
Absolutely. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about how you have that conversation. I've learned already some ideas and things I can implement in, in my practice. Now let's kind of talk about the one thing that we haven't yet, and that is how can we better work together? So as an optometrist, what can I do and or what would be your dream situation for how we could co-manage together and have those conversations before the patient shows up for you to do surgery? Well, I think probably the biggest thing is to diagnose and pretreat the ocular surface disease. And um, you don't have to be the director of the Dry Eye Center of Excellence. The things that mean the most and the best way to screen are threefold and they're cheap and easy. One, use a questionnaire. So the speed questionnaire is a wonderful questionnaire and it takes the patient uh, less than 60 seconds to fill it out. So you've got that sheet in front of you, you see what their symptoms are. So that's a red flag that somebody has the classic symptoms. The second is, of course, corneal staining. If you see corneal staining uh, and or conjunctival staining, that's a red flag. And I'm a huge believer in pure osmolarity. There's very low cost to entry. And if I see a tear osmolarity score of 317 milliosmoles per liter or higher, that's another huge red flag. And that means I've got a clinically significant dry eye here. Uh, often they have two or even all three of those things, but even if only one of those three parameters uh, is positive, I treat the dry eye. And it would be great if um, when patients are referred in that they're already pretreated, then the conversations are easier. Plus, if they're pretreated, there might be one or two IOLs that would have been a bad choice for them before, but that are a good choice now because they've got a great ocular surface. I love that. That's a great tip. And we try to say that, I mean, I try to say that as much as I can too. And I think the challenge is until, unfortunately, until someone sees how much that can affect a patient's outcome, it's very difficult to really feel the impact uh, that you can make by, by doing this and treating them early. I love that you've given us these uh, words of wisdom. I, I sure appreciate you being on the show with us today and, and doing this podcast. Before we go though, Dr. McDonald, is there anything thinking of along the lines of presbyopia, co-management, surgical options, is there anything I didn't ask that you think is important for discussion or any closing words you'd like to leave with our listeners? Well, there is an option. You know, sometimes you you talk to someone and they say, yeah, uh, I, I guess I'll get both eyes corrected for distance with my surgery, my cataract surgery, and I'll wear readers. And I say, you know, after our long discussion, that seems to be the right choice for you. But I do mention that coming in a few months, there will almost certainly be drops available that they can take that will reduce their need for readers for eight to 12 hours. And um, they may choose to use them every day. They won't be covered by insurance. They might choose to use them just uh, when, they go, when they go out, when they go to parties and they don't wanna take their readers in their evening bag. But I always tell them that this is coming and that actually uh, excites people tremendously. And they realize that if they pick two eyes for distance, there will be a, a reader free option when they want it. 
Absolutely, I love it. And a, another pearl for all of us, something to be thinking about is starting to have those conversations now because it won't be long. I love it. In the very Thank you. <laughs> exactly. So Dr. McDonald, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I, I have just had the best time and I thank you for your time. And I know that our listeners are appreciative as well. So, and thank you to our listeners for joining today's podcast. We hope you'll tune back in for future episodes of the In Focus Up Close with Presbyopia podcast series. Thanks, Dr. Jasper.